is up, Bitcoiners. I just got off with Amanda Cavallari. This was a really fantastic conversation. We kind of focused on who is Amanda. Amanda is running a fund over in Wyoming, but she's also heavily involved in all things that's around Bitcoin and making Bitcoin as attainable and as understandable and palatable to legislators as possible. She actually moved to Wyoming just because Wyoming was a uh, a leader in the Bitcoin and the crypto legislation space. She's working with miners. She's working with politicians. She's an overall fantastic advocate for Bitcoin, and she is all about Bitcoin and Bitcoin only. She is a true Bitcoiner, and I've had the pleasure of meeting her in person over in BTC Miami, over at the Beefsteak, the legendary Beefsteak. So uh, y'all, if you're in Wyoming, hit up Amanda. If you know anything about this infrastructure bill and you want to learn more how to react to it, this podcast is going to help you with some really great advice, as well as just help you understand how Bitcoin is fitting into the global equation. Amanda is really why she's, you know, kind of explored the world. She's met with different stakeholders in this industry, and she understands where Bitcoin is going. And, you know, I think that she has a good sense of, you know, what can help Bitcoin, at least in the immediate term, but hopefully in the long term. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this podcast. And that's enough of me. Let's just get right into it. Bitcoiners, I am getting on with Amanda Cavallari, the COO of Pearl Snap Capital. She is an amazing Bitcoiner, someone that I got to meet in person in Miami and have really enjoyed just following her on social media. And then uh, last week with this kind of bill, um, this infrastructure bill in the U.S. Senate, uh, she was one of the people that was really kind of leading the rally cry around like how to actually interface with uh, your representative. I feel like a lot of Bitcoiners are very like, I don't want to talk to my representative. I don't want to vote and all this stuff. And now with this infrastructure bill, we kind of have to make some noise because there's this impending uh, you know, potential bad legislation. Uh, and you really kind of stepped up with a lot of leadership there. And then you and uh, you and Joe, uh, I can't pronounce his last name, <laughs> Carla Sar. I'm the worst. With I'll let you do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, Carla Sar. Call us, sorry. I think that's all right. Close, yeah. Joe, call us, sorry. If you're listening to this, forgive me. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, you two co-authored an article kind of teasing out different aspects and again, calling on Bitcoiners uh, to just interface and try to uh, make their voices heard. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. I know that was a pretty long intro, but I'm excited to have you. Yeah, excited to be here. And I don't think I did much. Um, I just happened to have had some experience in DC at a fellowship out there. So you kind of start to learn the ins and outs of it and being uh, noisy and voicing your opinion actually can do something. So it's really interesting to see how we went from there's no way there will be an amendment to this bill to now there is an amendment to at least clarify some of the language. Yeah. So, I mean, we can dive into like the specifics around the current situation um, but before doing that, I, I just kind of want to like learn a little bit more about Amanda. I'm sure the Bitcoiners yeah. out there, you know, some of them may be familiar with you. Some of them, you may be a new, new person, a new voice. So, um, I guess let's just jump into that. Like, you know, who is Amanda? How did you discover Bitcoin? How did you get to where you are today? Yeah. So it's been a fun journey. I first heard about Bitcoin. I dropped out of college, um, after my sophomore year, started a business and, had shared office space with this guy who was ex. He went to MIT. He had 
real estate battle, like a really interesting human being. And he told me about Bitcoin and in 2010, he, he's pretty early. I think the way he explained it, it seemed like very, he was explaining it in a very peer-to-peer community way. And it just didn't resonate with me. It wasn't until I started traveling abroad, researching actually health and longevity and aging that I started to get these macro perspectives that have, to me, Bitcoin really encapsulates. So I uh, started working in this world through privacy initially. So I was working in healthcare, um, specifically around you know tools to help older adults maintain their independence in their homes and longevity. Um, and older people actually care about their privacy. So I ended up working with David Chom. Um, if you're not familiar with David Chom, he's uh, kind of an OG in, in this space. So he helped develop the concept of blockchain in the late 70s, early 80s. And then he also ran DigiCash, which was the first digital currency. So got to work with him on privacy and learned a ton. That's pretty epic. That route. Yeah. Yeah, it was wild. It was like drinking from a fire hose, right? Um, and so, yeah, we traveled a lot internationally and just got to see behind the curtain a little bit of some of the crypto stuff and and to me you know there's a big difference between bitcoin and all the altcoins um not just philosophical. what year was this just to put things into perspective into context i don't remember if it was 2017 or 2018 somewhere in there i'm sorry i remember right now summer 2018 i met uh david chom at distributed 2018 where i escorted him from his hotel to to the backstage area. Yeah. So I remember that was kind of like a, a a keystone moment in my crypto career, kind of getting into Bitcoin too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a genius. I think it's it was pretty incredible to work with him and and just understand how his brain works. But he saw a lot of these things that are coming down the pipeline now, um, as far as surveillance and all of that gosh i mean he was writing about it in the 80s and 90s so he's he's way ahead of the curve he saw this coming so um i want to i want to dive into like you differentiating altcoins and uh bitcoin i guess 2017 2018 i also want to talk about like maybe you and david chom's differentiating perspectives because as far (laughs) as i know he's still i don't know if he's still working on the altcoin project but he never fully was like gave into Bitcoin, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's tough, right? This is a good, this is a loaded question. Nice work. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, it's got to be hard being like the godfather of this in so many ways and it moving forward without you. But he was working on really amazing things uh, while Bitcoin was getting started. He was working on voting. Um so, you know, that work could be just as important in the future as well, potentially. But yeah, I for me, it was not necessarily, you know, him. It was just seeing behind the curtains of how the fund structure worked and how it worked internationally and how, you know, the pre-mining works and pre-sale. And it just felt really icky. Um, the only other time I felt like that kind of cringy was working, living and working in D.C. So... Um, it was helpful to see how it all worked, but again, it's not, you know, truly a lot of, most of it's a scam, uh, a lot of securities really at the end of the day. And then you've got, I don't think you can replicate Bitcoin. I mean, it's like an immaculate conception. You have 
pure open source, pure, you know, it's purely distributed. It's a really interesting dynamic. Um, so beyond the the hard cap of 21 million, um, those are things that really interest me and the censorship resistance as well, especially working abroad. I think that's really important. Um, I spend a lot of time in Hong Kong and just seeing what happened there really kind of pushed me over any ledge that I was maybe tilting over. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I got the, when I started at BTC Inc. in 2018, uh, before yeah. meeting David, uh, David Trom, I was actually traveling throughout Asia working remotely for BTC okay. Inc. And I got the pleasure of being in Hong Kong in 2018. And there was tension, there's anger towards, you know, government buildings and against, you know, the mainlanders and resentment and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, like Hong Kong was so free and man, was it an amazing city? Right. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. that was so much fun. So it really does bring like a tear to my eye to just like think of, you know, maybe Hong Kong as we knew it before is no longer a thing. Yeah, it was my favorite city in the world and was because I don't think it can ever be what it was. And I don't think it'll adapt into anything resembling what it was, which is really unfortunate. I mean, I was there during some of you know, permitted protests, there were millions of people in the street. And I think COVID just kind of killed any global attention that they had. Um, really, it would have been the UK's position to stand up for Hong Kong more. And they just, they just weren't, we couldn't we abandoned Hong Kong in my perspective. Well, I mean, we don't need yeah. to talk about Hong Kong more. Yeah. But again, it sounds like dropped out of college, found your way into working with David Chom. So I'm sure there's a crazy story on how that got started. Uh, started to see the difference between Bitcoin and altcoins. What happened next? Yeah, so then um, I actually, so I moved to Wyoming a few, after I stopped working with Chom a few years ago. So almost, what, two and a half, two and a half years ago or so, because Wyoming has the most supportive legislation around Bitcoin and, and digital assets and fintech in general. Um, so to me, it was just a really interesting place to be at that time. And it still is, right? They're still leading the way in the U.S. in a lot of ways uh, internationally as well. And it's just been a really fascinating journey. So what I was doing is I would, you know, I kind of had like life figured out, I thought, right? Like everyone... Um, I was worked consulting with funds and helping them get off the ground. So like a Bitcoin um, ETF style fund, hedge fund, a bunch of different models. And I'd come home to, to Wyoming ski for a couple months or hike for a couple months and then like go abroad for a little bit, come back. And so I was like, oh, I got this life. And then COVID, right? So stopped going and my last trip abroad was in December, just before COVID, because all Asia just kind of shut down in January, February. So I wasn't, I didn't want to go back and get stuck. Um, so I started trying to find ways that I could be more connected in Wyoming and domestically and, and just really start getting involved back again with the community, um, the Bitcoin community. And so learned a ton um, like drinking from a, a fire hose again. And it was so strange because it was all remote. Um, and so I think now, now where we are on the legislation side, it's been pretty cool to be, you know, living in the state that Lummis is, is 
in and really pushing this this initiative forward in DC. Um, and her staff that she brought on has, you know, they were some of the people that the legislation that was written for right Wyoming was written on their laptop. So it's pretty cool that she she really did embrace Bitcoin and and this mission and and moving it forward. That's, I mean, it's exciting to kind of hear like how Bitcoin is trickling into uh, our government because I feel like my favorite quote about Bitcoin is a Bitcoin Tina quote. And I know he, yeah. you know, people have their opinions about Tina, but I love Tina. And he's, he has many wise, wise things to say, in my opinion. And one of the wisest is Bitcoin is like water. You can't stop it and it gets everywhere. So, yeah. like, of course, like you can't stop it and it's going to get into every crevice of society. Uh, and probably, right. you know, transform it from inside out. So I think that this is just another example of that. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, and that's where, you know, once I really went down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, you see it everywhere. Like, oh, it can it can solve, you know, inflation in other countries. It can solve human rights issues. It can also solve very basic things like bank fees. So it just, runs the spectrum and um i think for me that's what's so fascinating is kind of more about that, that macro perspective um and so i'm glad that i remained kind of open-minded I, I love tina like i i do but i'll tell you like bitcoin twitter scares still kind of scares me right in a way but when i was new to this this space i was like what is up with <laughs> what is up with this group of people but now that i've gotten to know so many folks personally like bitcoin tina or hodl or you know some of those folks it's like oh okay you you it really is now i understand what michael saylor said about the you know the immune system and the the uh what does he call it the wa the wise wa right um because we've had to we went through some things in our own ways no, totally. I, I I think the OG Bitcoiners definitely been through some things, and even yeah. 2017 Bitcoiners have been through some things. Um, yeah, I, I love the Bitcoin community personally. I think Bitcoin yeah. Bitcoin Twitter is great. It, it is a wealth of knowledge, and I honestly think like Bitcoin is a subculture that is just so like it's just so difficult to ignore. It's like one of the most in your face subcultures out there. And I think like, again, going back to this bill, like, I don't think these senators and the Treasury and the White House thought that they're going to get pushback. They're like, we're going to put together this fucking 20 page document bill that no one's going to read all the way through. And, you know, we're going to sneak in all these little things that we want to get done and, you know, land grab while we can. Uh, and little did they know that Bitcoiners verify everything that, you know, this <laughs> leaked. And then, you know, we're blowing up every senator possible, making an enormous amount of noise. Again, just can't be ignored. Like even and even pundits on CNBC know what a Bitcoin maximalist is, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's just like this is a tour de force of people. It's insane. It is insane. And I think that's part of this point, right? There are 46 million Americans that own Bitcoin. Um, it could be somewhere 40 to 50 now. Who knows what the exact number is, but around 46 million. And that's over the 17% of the U.S. population. So when you start to look at the innovation bell curve, right, you have um, the innovators and the early adopters. And so that's, you know, 
15%. We're at 17%. So maybe we've even crossed the chasm without really realizing it. And I think this infrastructure bill, it's crazy. It's, it's 2,702 pages, a few pages dedicated to, you know, cryptocurrency tax and surveillance. And, um, yeah, it was just snuck in there. It was created from behind closed doors, no committee, no, uh, you know, no input from the industry and they just put it in there. And I think you're absolutely right. I don't think they were expecting a group of, there we go, cyber hornets to come and, and make our voices heard, not just on Twitter, but we've been calling. So, you know, I called my senator today and they just said the phone has been ringing off the hook specifically about this amendment that's being proposed um, by Lummis and a couple other senators. So that's, you know, that's a lot of progress. On Sunday, we were thinking nothing can be done. It's written in stone. And now, you know, we stirred the pot enough to actually get get some momentum on this. We're really proud to be part of this community that actually bands together um, and made our voices heard. That's, they represent us. So where do we go from here from like, let's just call it Bitcoiners and uh, political action in you know, I apologize to the international Bitcoiners that, you know, with all a lot of this conversation around the infrastructure bill is U.S. oriented. But here we are, you know, both a both the U.S. based Bitcoiners. So we kind of have to talk about it. But, you know, from like, let's just call it a U.S. as well as in general, like where do we go from here in terms of um, political action, advocating for Bitcoin, being like a single issue voter block that just starts to like... Yeah push its weight. I'm just kind of curious what your vision is. Yeah. And I think that you hit the nail on the head. We're single issue voter block and that. So basically that means that we'll go with the politicians that are pro Bitcoin and against the ones that aren't right. And I think we're at that stage where that's where millions, maybe even tens of millions of Bitcoiners are, or they're getting there. So if we have 46 million Bitcoiners, that's 46 million that are adults. Those are 46 million U.S. voters. If you look at it compared to other organizations in D.C. that are big and scary to representatives, like let's take AARP for example. Um, AARP has, you know, in 2018 they had 38 million members. I'm not sure what the number is now, and they're one of the most terrifying forces on the Hill because AARP members are older, so they tend to vote. But they also control a lot of the wealth in the U.S. So if they were their own country, the 50 plus population in the U.S. would be the third largest GDP in the world um, behind the U.S. and China. So if we can start to tell that story and create, you know, a, you know I think it's OK to open source and, and some Bitcoiners won't want to do this, but some will want more, you know, organization you know, maybe it's a C4, maybe it's a PAC, maybe it's multiple of these things coming together and, and making our voices heard because I don't think this is over. Even for this um, infrastructure bill, I think we still need to bring this to the House. So most importantly, we need to start reaching out to our House of Representatives um, if you're in their districts and start teaching them like immediately about Bitcoin. And then we can, you build those relationships and when these things come around, you know, you've already got that relationship established and can explain why does this hurt your livelihood or your business or anything that you're involved with. And I think that's really important um, 
to have that relationship. And it's not just this infrastructure bill. We have more things will come as well. So I think this is just getting started um, and just getting organized and, and being prepared and not caught off guard like we were on this one. All right, Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor. This show is brought to you by Ledin.io. I have been super, super impressed with the guys over at Ledin. I've actually known the co-founders, Adam and Mauricio, for a very long time. I've had the pleasure to watch them build Ledin up from a tiny, tiny startup to now a super impressive institutional grade Bitcoin and crypto lender. Y'all, I'm so impressed with these guys. They are offering some of the best rates out there. I don't think anyone even comes close to touching them. You can get 6.1% APY on your first two Bitcoin that you deposit into Ledin interest accounts, and you can get 8.5% US on USDC deposits. I mean, I know all the competitors. They're not even close. If you're going to put your crypto and your Bitcoin into an interest account, Ledin is by far the best. And on top of that, like I said, these guys are hardcore Bitcoiners and they know the products and the services that Bitcoiners want and appreciate. They come up with B2X. It allows you to put your Bitcoin in, they leverage it up, and you can, with one click of the mouse, get twice the exposure to Bitcoin. So if you're super bullish, Ledin has you covered with a super, super easy way to get leverage with B2X. And then on top of that, they know that Bitcoiners care about your reserves. They know that Bitcoiners don't like under-reserved and not full-reserved financial institutions. So they are pushing the frontier in transparency in the digital asset lending space. And they are the first digital asset lender to do a full proof of reserves and proof of attestation through a Mariano LLC, a public accounting firm. So the letting guys, they know what Bitcoin is like. They are legit. I encourage you guys to check them out. Do your own research and go to ledin.io. That is L-E-D-N.io and learn more. Bitcoiners, I want to tell you guys about The Deep Dive. The Deep Dive is a new premium newsletter from the Bitcoin Magazine team in conjunction with my man, BTCization, Dylan LeClaire. Dylan is such a multifaceted and wide-ranging analyst. He does everything from on-chain analytics to macro uh, analysis to uh, you know, hash rate and all that kind of good stuff. He does it all. He breaks down everything that's happening every single day with his daily dive. He's going to dive into what is happening in the market that day. So that way you don't have to pay attention to Twitter. You don't have to pay attention to anything else. You can just pay attention to the deep dive and he has you covered. And at the end of the week, guess what? You get a weekly recap. And at the end of the month, hey, we have a freaking report, a beautiful PDF breaking down all the activity of that entire month, what it means for Bitcoin, what you can expect moving forward. The Bitcoin market is going to moon. We are here to make sure that we maximize your stack. Go to members.bitcoinmagazine.com to sign up today. And if you use promo code BITS, you can get one month for free. So again, the deep dive, I've been checking it out every day and you should too. Back to the show. Yeah, I mean... I think uh, you and David Bailey, the CEO of BTC Inc., need to uh, have a talk about this Bitcoin pack because I think he's been very interested in something along those lines as well. Um, In terms of uh, in terms of like, let's just say being more on the offensive, organizing more, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on the, the Bitcoin Mining Council, because you know, sailor on one side saying we're just organizing like any other industry 
uh, professional industry group to create, you know, some sort of professional council. You can look up every single thing. There is a professional council on it. Why not a mining council? And then on the flip side, you have, you know, folks saying we should not bow down to any sort of like ESG narrative that it's just a false narrative to begin with. And I kind of, you know, I kind of find myself agreeing with both. Um, so, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to bend down to an ESG or even frame it in ESG. And then on the flip side, I also think that we should, you know, we should fight, advocate and educate. Um, so I'm kind of curious what you think about that council in general and like maybe even more specifically how you think Bitcoiners ideally should kind of organize around this stuff beyond kind of like a pack and some of the stuff that you already uh, suggested. Yeah, and I'm not sure if a C4 or a PAC or whatever is the right answer, if it's a combination of everything, right? Um, and that's the great thing about open source. You know, we can kind of do our own thing and don't have to commit to just one one way of doing it, right? And some people not participating might be their, you know, their way of participating, and that's okay too. Um, you know, the... So with the Bitcoin Mining Council, I'm with you. Like I'm torn. I think it's healthy that there is some friction between having the council and not. I think if every Bitcoiner were saying, oh, we love this council, we're totally on board, it could, you know, spiral or it could become something bigger than it was meant to be. But it's nice to have the Bitcoiners pushing back and saying like, we don't know, this is, this is not, you know, this doesn't represent us, right? And that's great. That's open source. Um, I see some of the value in it. I think at the end of the day, we're not winning with energy innovation until we've got nuclear. And so it's like the nuclear thing, when you really study you know, different types of energy and what's the most beneficial in the long run um, and efficient in the long run, it's, it's nuclear again and again and again. So it's fascinating to me that we kind of did bow down to Musk. He does, I feel like we did a little bit, um, or that group did. And, you know, that's pretty frustrating for someone that's, um, what is it? Willie Wu said, had a quote today where if all of one of their models, um, was just sitting in a parking lot, not being used, it would use more electricity than all of Bitcoin mining. Right. So, I think putting it in perspective is really important, but right now we're in such a polarized, reactionary, emotional world that that's hard to hard to put things in perspective sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is hard to put things in perspective. I guess you know, my question is for you is like you know, like what happens the rest of this year, right? Because I just think, you know, we have some battles, we have some headwinds. At the same time, there's just this unbelievable like undercurrent of bullishness. So, and a lot of Bitcoiners kind of expect that a bull run will continue uh, going into uh, the later part of this year. I guess like in your mind, like, you know, what happens next? Do things get clownier? Like, I'm just kind of curious, like, how are you forecasting, uh, you know, 2021? Yeah, so I think the rest of the year on the Hill in D.C., we'll probably see more more regulation coming for crypto, which is confusing for a lot of people on the Hill. What's the difference between Bitcoin and crypto, right? So I think education would be huge for all of us 
to just go out and, and teach one on one even, right? And it's good for people to hear multiple messages in multiple ways. I didn't get the peer to peer thing in the beginning, but then I got the macro side, the international side years later, for example. So as far as you know what's coming, I think we'll see this go to the house. I hope this amendment passes. So keep calling and keep emailing your senators. Um I don't think it's interesting because Ted Cruz kind of went rogue, but Ted Cruz is also a very, you know, polarizing figure in DC. I do not want a war personally between Ted Cruz and Elizabeth Warren on Bitcoin. Um, that's just me. I don't think that's going to help us in the long run. I think there's, you know, there's a way that we can fight this in the house, but it has to start with education. So. Call you know, reach out to your senators today is what I would do. Send one more email, do one more call in the morning, try to get them to reconsider if if they're pretty heavy. So at least there's a record that that there are people that aren't for this. And then you know, the next thing would be go for the house, start teaching the house, and start teaching your representatives about this and and building a relationship and a bridge because this is a long term partnership. A lot of these kids that work on the hill. They are kids. I mean, they're, they've just graduated college or they're in grad school or, you know, some of them have debt um, and they just, you know, their friends are buying Dogecoin maybe. And so I think it's really important to be that person that reaches out and, and teaches um, so that when these decisions are being made and they're helping to draft these bills, then then they're able to to have a bigger, kind of a bigger uh understanding a larger understanding for themselves as well so i think that's what's next is the house for infrastructure and then after that we'll probably see another large bill where something gets put in at some point this year i don't think it's over so i guess what where do you think a lot of this animosity towards bitcoin is coming from uh legislatively is this like a you know senator uh sorry congressman warren on the bitcoin magazine podcast said that this is a big bank protection act or clause. Um, you know, is it like because just trying to defend big banks, like do these senators feel uh, or do these politicians feel threatened or on the flip side, do they just see this as a opportunity to collect more revenue and, you know, check some, some boxes in terms of getting stuff across the finish line. I'm just kind of curious what you think the general intention is here from, you know, the perpetrators of these legal attacks. I think it might be all of the above and different for each person, right? And then some, it might be as basic as not being a curious person and going down the rabbit hole, right? So maybe they just haven't gone down the rabbit hole yet, or they haven't seen a need to learn more. Um, And that's where things like, you know, communicating um, become really important and teaching so that they have more and more of those opportunities because it might take eight touch points or eight Bitcoiners calling, you know, one staffer to get through to that staffer. And then that staffer starts explaining it to the others. And then that becomes a thing within their office. And so it's just, you know, really, we understand the network effect. So let's leverage that, but let's, let's focus on these policymakers. So then if they do keep having that animosity, then we know it's not just not out of like being naive. Right. I think that would help us answer a lot of questions as well. Yep. I mean, that makes sense. And kind of like on that, so, you know, you mentioned staffers. When people call into representatives, like they're not going to just go straight to the senator. I mean, maybe you can, but for the most part, you know, you're going to have, 
most part, you're going to have, you know, someone who's a member of their office and staff uh, kind of handling it and, you know, organizing and escalating things up, right, and taking notes um, for the senator. Uh, can you just talk about, like, talking to those people? And, you know, you did mention, you know, maybe they're young, you know, maybe they have friends buying Dogecoin, that kind of thing. Like, uh, maybe talk about even framing a little bit, because I feel like sometimes even myself, not so good as a Bitcoiner with framing. And sometimes, you know, talking about burning down the government to a young kid who's working for a liberal um, politician or a conservative politician, maybe they don't feel the same way about burning down the government. Yeah, right. I think it's like always meeting people where they are or trying to understand where they are. So you can always ask, you know, what's your understanding of this? And kind of just ask probative questions, right? Um, you know, then you can ask what's the senator or representative's understanding of this? And, you know, what kind of feedback have you been getting from other people? And then you start to, you know, take down some of that armor and you're having a person to person relationship. I always like to start with, you know, um, for example, I still called Hickenlooper's office today and he's Colorado. He's a senator in Colorado. And I said, I'm a fifth generation Coloradan. Um, my family's been an entrepreneur, whether it's been farmland or, or healthcare um, in the state for five decades, you know, five um, generations. And so it's like putting that in perspective and like, okay, we'll listen to you a little bit more. And I'm like, oh, where'd you grow up? And find out if they're from there in the first place, right? And so it's just that kind of getting to know a person first and where they are first, and then starting to explain, you know, how you see it and make it more of a conversation and a back and forth than preaching. I think that helps a lot. Um, sometimes also like psychologically people remember or have a more favorable experience or memory of a conversation if they're talking more. So I'll probably love this conversation, CK, because I'm the one talking the whole time. <laughs> but those are little tricks, right? And then, then you build that relationship and follow up with email and then touch base, you know, sometimes just out of the blue touch base, right? Not because you're, you need something. That sounds like a lot of effort there, Amanda. I know. It is. You got do we have, do we need to build relationships with our uh our representative staffers to uh to fight for Bitcoin? Is that what it takes? It might be. I mean, or inviting them to meetups, right? Like get them to become a Bitcoiner. Why can't they become a Bitcoiner? So I think that's the goal, really. Like we would try to orange pill our friends or family or or you know, a certain industry or whatever. Um, same thing. So I think inviting them into the community is really helpful too. All right. Well, I mean, I think that's a great idea. And maybe we should kick off a campaign called Orange Pill All the Staffers. <laughs> if we orange pill all the staffers, then every single congressman or congresswoman and senator will, they have no choice. They're just going to have a bunch of, you know, orange filled Bitcoiners on their hands. <laughs> exactly. I think that's like, that's the real Trojan horse, right? If you get all the staffers, <laughs> or even if we got like 30% of the staffers, that's pretty that's pretty good. I wouldn't be upset about that. That'd be an incredible feat, actually. All right, Bitcoiners, you heard it here first. Orange pilling <laughs> all the congressional staffers, all the staffers for every politician across the globe, all these politicians use staffers to help them make, you know, and, you know, make do with, you know, the limited constraints and bandwidth that they have. I'm sure they have lots of lobbyists and, uh, you know, stakeholders in their ears. So uh, they need staffers and we can orange fill all of them. Uh, Amanda, you know, just kind of like getting away from like, 
you know, the legal situation, you know, as important as it is, I, I do find it tiring a little bit. I kind of want to talk yeah. about like, for you, like, why is Bitcoin so important, right? Like, why are you dedicating yeah. all of your time? Why are you entering into this community and, you know, and kind of diving headfirst into this, you know, you even moved to Colorado because of Bitcoin. I'm sorry. Gosh, yeah, Wyoming. Wyoming. I know, from Colorado I'm sorry. already. Sorry. Yeah, it you're wasn't from Colorado. Well, you... enough for me anymore. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Sorry. And I, I mean, I love Wyoming. I need to, I need to come visit once again. But uh, yeah, I guess back to you. Yeah. And if people are going to visit Wyoming, feel free to reach out on Twitter. Just send me a DM and I'll try to connect you to things if I'm not in, in town at the same time. Even. Um, so where does it come from? I think personally, right, you know, I was a kid that always did the right thing. I got the good grades. I did everything right. And then I um, had this little, like, alter ego anti-authoritarian in me and just never understood why. Like, it always asked, well, why this? Why that? You know, I think that's what's so intriguing about early Bitcoiners, especially, is the the why is a big big factor for all of us and everything. Well, why is, is the financial institution? Well, why is the government like this? Well, why do I have to follow that rule? Why can't I do it this way? And so for me, you know, I think especially being an entrepreneur and constantly butting up against no, 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 I just didn't have another outlet for it. And then I found, you know, a lot of Bitcoiners who are very similar in asking why and trying to find alternative routes around things. Um, so one, the community, but, and personal frustration with systems, right. That just don't make sense anymore in archaic. So anything from healthcare to government, a lot of things don't make sense. And so that plus kind of more geopolitical angle, I see China as being a really big, um, entrant, especially with payments. So WeChat and Alipay are, of exploding in numbers. China trades with 70% of the world. They're trying to buy ports. I feel like there's this kind of encroaching, I don't know, this encroaching cloud um, that's coming for freedom in a way. And so I think the combination of, and this is kind of the, the discussion when I explain it to folks in D.C. is, Bitcoin plus the U.S. dollar will beat the digital yuan, and I think that's that's the combination to me that makes the most sense, and that will make continue to allow the world to expand rather than retracting and and going backwards. Um, I spent a lot of time interviewing, like obsessed with wisdom, so I interview older adults around the world, including you know, older adults from who lived through communism in Hungary, for example, and just hearing their stories to me, that system doesn't make sense. I'm not saying capitalism is perfect and it's not hurting people in different ways either. But to me, what really makes sense is a Bitcoin future. And especially as the world is more global and we're able to communicate, um, information travels differently. Um, I think that's that's the future that we're heading towards is a truly free future as an optimist. So I think Bitcoin gets us there. All right, let's take a quick break from that episode. I want to tell you guys about our sponsor. It is Bitcoin 2022 conference. 
I am sure you saw the videos. You may have been there in person. Bitcoin 2021 was an absolute smashing success. It was the biggest conference in Bitcoin history, crypto history, whatever history of the digital asset sphere. Bitcoin is number one and the Bitcoin 2021 conference is number one with a bullet. It was an absolutely incredible time. I was working my ass off the whole time, but I got to meet so many incredible community members. And I think the best testament to how amazing Bitcoin 2021 was, was not just all of the amazing, you know, accolades and, uh, and compliments that I got personally and our team got, but also it's the skin in the game in Bitcoin 2022. We have already sold close to 1500 tickets. That is more than 10% of the people, everyone who went to Bitcoin 2021 have already purchased tickets to Bitcoin 2022. We have not released a date. We have not released a city. We have not released anything. That is the biggest compliment. That is the biggest skin in the game of the community being down for this conference. Bitcoin 2022 is going to be bigger than Bitcoin 2021. It is going to be better than Bitcoin 21 in every single way. And we are going to be bringing you the best opportunity to mingle with the biggest, the baddest, the most Bitcoin people on the planet. So join the revolution. Go to b.tc forward slash conference. Get your tickets today. I don't know what the ticket prices are. They are going up. I think they're $249 right now. We just rolled out fiat ticket uh, purchases. All the tickets purchased before today were all purchased in BTC. So get it, guys. Get it. Get this ticket. Be at Bitcoin 2022. See you there. Yeah, so I mean, I I definitely like that pitch, right? Which is like, you know, freedom and Bitcoin are synonymous, and the alternative is the authoritarian, totalitarian kind of panopticon, digital panopticon, and that's absolutely like China's not even like pretending that that's not what they're trying to do, right? That's that's what they're trying to do, and they're flexing their muscles even today, like. You know, earlier this week and last week, banning games and limiting video games, calling it spiritual opium, um, other sorts of constraints, other slaps on uh, quickly growing financial companies um, within their borders. You know, they're they're trying to control everyone and scale that control with technology. And that's the opposite of Bitcoin. Bitcoin scales human freedom with technology. Uh, so it, it, it is the 180. And if you stand for freedom, you can't stand for the digital panopticon. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think as we do enter, you know, global, you know, digital currencies is, is form of, you know, from these central banks, Bitcoin can help keep that in check, but also Bitcoin can be a partner in that. I don't think it has to be if this, or you know this or that i think there is a world where they can live in equilibrium um obviously i prefer a bitcoin only world but i don't think that's possible and i think that is where we're going to trigger um a lot more regulation globally is is that that extreme so it's a touchy kind of a balance right to to keep it safe so it can still grow yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it is touchy. I'm kind of curious. I have just two more questions for you, but I'm kind of yeah. curious um, how this Bitcoin future, because, you know, in terms of how I see the U.S., I think it's in a fantastic position just because we have states' rights. And we really saw that because of COVID in 2020. What's the difference between the U.S. and Canada, the U.S. and the U.K., the U.S. and Australia? 
uh, the U.S. and Europe to most people. Well, before 2020, they would say, oh, maybe even the U.S. is worse. But on the flip side, post-COVID, you see that, you know, the U.S. actually has a structure to defend citizens from big government. And it's it works to some degree. I'm kind of curious. And that personally made me bullish on the U.S. I'm kind of curious, you know, someone who's kind of in the Bitcoin U.S. political sphere, like how do you feel the U.S. is set up to, uh, you know, take advantage of, of Bitcoin structurally? Oh, I think it's incredible, especially I agree. I think the state, the states having the ability to have different value adds as well, right? Not every state's going to be a great state for mining, but it could be a great state for financial services, layer two startups, right? Or privacy or other things. And so people can vote by moving now or setting up businesses or entities in these states that support them. So I think COVID accelerated that because the work from home helped people think like, oh, I can move to Austin or, oh, I can move to Wyoming. I can move to Florida. It created a competition that I think will help the U.S. maintain its competitive advantage overall. I love that so many miners are moving here. Um, I mean, we're trying to get Bitcoin miners to move to Wyoming as well, and that's become a priority for the state. Economic Development Center, the university, um, representatives in the state and senators in the state. So, I, I mean, that's one example, right? Yeah, I do think that's a great example. Um, like when you look at the big, uh, when you look at Bitcoin, like kind of adoption in America versus in a, you know, kind of across the globe, especially developing countries and nations, you know, how do you kind of see it developing differently, I guess? And maybe a key yeah. example is like El Salvador, right? They had this, this bill coming out and, you know, we're seeing, you know, now other nations in Latin America, South America start to follow suit, uh, Paraguay, Panama, Uruguay, all nations that, you know, have political will to adopt crypto and Bitcoin. Um, just kind of yeah. yeah, just compare and contrast and maybe talk about the global or more with Bitcoin. Yeah. So for us, right, we still have to wade through a lot of riffraff and change in DC still comes slowly. Like I think it feels like it's very fast, but compared to other places, the check and balances actually keep it kind of slow moving. And so you have other states that are maybe or countries that are smaller or they have more, you know, dramatic overthrows of the government or different things of that nature. I think it's a lot, the way I like to think of it, especially in Latin America, is they kind of leapfrogged um, telephone lines and went straight to cell phones in a lot of places. And I think the same will be true for using Bitcoin on in a daily, you know, exchange or uh, for example, I have some friends from Argentina and they're, they're using it to store value because they're, they're, uh, currencies, you know, inflated so much. So I think that those countries, like for example, in, in South America or even Africa, right, there's such extreme inflation that they're going straight to the peer to peer. We're going through store of value a lot in the US, I believe, from what I'm experiencing. And I think they'll go straight to peer to peer payments. Yeah, I was talking to Lord Futitua from uh, from Tonga, and he was saying like that's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that in the West it can be it could solve store of value, and then 
uh, and also in, in third world countries, it can solve store value. But in nations with very poor financial uh, infrastructure, it can solve P2P payments and it can solve a uh, unit of account and it can solve a lot of the things where um, there's you know just massive deficiencies in the payment infrastructure. I think a lot of people don't get that you know cash serves a lot of the world and where cash doesn't serve, you know they're really like grasping for straws for for money and property. Um, so you know Bitcoin solves that in a major way, uh, even if it is you know on chain is slow and Lightning is something that maybe is more for advanced users. We're we're improving there too. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think the user experience has gotten so much better. And that's, you know, also got me really excited is the Lightning Network, what's being built on top of that, whether it's privacy tools or, um, yeah, payment rails. I mean, it's really fascinating. And so that's what I believe we'll see is more adoption at the layer two level in these emerging economies. And I really do see it as kind of Bitcoin payments versus WeChat and Alipay payments. That's how I see it, um, especially with the, the international trade. It's interesting that you bring up China just because like everyone I talk to on the macro side, I mean, not everyone, but the people I talk to in particular, um, you know, are kind of bearish China. And I, I've typically yeah. had a very bearish China stance and their CBDC is never going to ship. They've never been able to, uh, you know, compel uh, other nations with in their authority. They barely even took Hong Kong back in the messiest way possible. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm underestimating them. Uh, I do. There is a little bit of conflict there between my kind of worldview versus yours. Uh, I'm curious, Amanda, before we wrap this one up, right, do you want to respond to that or? No, no. And I think that's the great part, right? Like I'm sure a lot of people are going to disagree with me on a lot of these things and I want to hear it. Like things really good to hear different perspectives. Yeah, but I'm, I don't I don't want to, you know, dwell on that too much. But I, I am kind of curious, do you see yourself getting further involved in Bitcoin politics, right? Like, it seems like right now, you know, you're, you're, you're a stakeholder, but you're not necessarily like a part of it. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, do you have aspirations beyond that? You mean like politics is in running for something in the US? Or getting heavily involved in the campaign or I don't know. I'm just kind of curious beyond know. just, you know, yeah. Do you have any political ambitions, especially in, in regards to advancing Bitcoin? I mean, in advancing Bitcoin, I have a lot of ambitions. And I think if politics are in the way, you know, there's that um, that Hannibal quote, right? Like, I'll find a way or I will make one because I do think politics can can slow this down. A little bit, and it might it might make it stronger. I mean, there's that perspective too, right? Um, sometimes in countries where it's banned or or frowned upon, it, it becomes a lot stronger. So I don't have the magic answers. All I know is um, I believe, from my experience, teaching and being um, a resource for politicians has been helpful for the legislation that they've passed towards. Bitcoin. And so to me, it's worth continuing to try until I'm, until if we ever get to a point where it just doesn't make sense to try anymore. Do you have a go-to piece of resource that you use uh, when you're trying to teach someone uh, about Bitcoin or especially a, a staff or a politician? Yeah. So usually I really, it depends on where they are, right? So I, you know, the typical, the Bitcoin standard, especially like off 
suggesting audiobook. Um, the little Bitcoin book is nice and simple and short. And I think that has a great message as well. Um, as far as content goes, you know, obviously this publication and a few others, um, there's, you know, there are a few people that you point to as well on Twitter, like especially Lynn, Lynn Alden is, is someone that I always bring up. I think she's a genius at, at explaining um, the macro side of this. And that's how I understood it. So for me, she really resonates. Awesome. Well, Amanda, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Need to get you on a lot more and need to get you on Bitcoin Magazine a lot more. So really hope to uh, to see you around and hope to, you know, continue to to share a lot of your wisdom and knowledge and experience in the space. Um, before we leave, you know, do you want to give the audience just a last word and, and leave the Bitcoiners with uh, one final thing from Amanda? Yeah, I can. And hopefully you can hear the the dog drinking his water in the background. He's been thirsty. Um, so I think the main thing is, you know, everyone's different. Not everyone's going to have the same approach. And that's the amazing thing about this community, right? I think it takes all kinds and all directions and all backgrounds. Um, I do believe, you know, where I can add value is probably more on the mining side, getting that to the U.S. and Wyoming, hopefully, um, and on the politics side, you know, kind of translating for politicians where Bitcoiners are, because it can be intimidating, right? Especially if you're a politician getting attacked by Bitcoin Twitter um, or just afraid to even enter that realm. So, you know, maybe more of like a translator, um, maybe more translators are needed and we need to hear those voices a little bit more so that we can reach back and forth from Bitcoin to, you know, different industries. It doesn't just have to be politics. It can be finance. It can be law, health, whatever it is, whatever makes sense at that time. And so I think that would be my message. It's not for everyone, but I think education is huge and taking the time to teach people is invaluable and that'll have a far reaching, you know, we can't even imagine how far that can reach. So keep doing that, keep educating and keep being open to answering questions from people. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, Bitcoiners, you heard Amanda, keep reaching out, keep educating, keep doing what you're doing. Honestly, yeah. you know, there's a lot of good things to say about the Bitcoiners out there, a lot of bad things to say about them. But I think the one thing that you can say is that I think Bitcoiners have been very, very effective, right? You know, it's only yeah. 12 years into this, uh, into this uh, revolution. And uh, I think we've been moving at lightning speed. A lot of people, you know, kind of be like, why aren't we at the moon yet? Why aren't we uh, at yeah. hyper Bitcoinization yet? Um, but I do think that we're moving very, very quickly. And uh, this community has, you know, everything uh, to thank for that, right? You know, this has been bootstrapped yeah. from, from the grassroots and all the people involved, everyone holding, everyone stacking, everyone chirping on Twitter is part of that. Um, to all the Bitcoiners out there, thank you so much for what you do. Thank me for what I do by following me at CK underscore Snarks. Go follow Bitcoin Magazine as well. Give us those five-star reviews. Go follow Amanda. Amanda, where can people find you? I don't think I asked. Yeah, it's Twitter. It's at Amanda and then underscore Cavalry. C-A-V-A-L-E-R-I. And you can find me in Wyoming too, so feel free to reach out. Yeah, go to Wyoming. Great state, great people. Big fan of Jackson Hole. I've been told that that's not even real Wyoming, so I need to I need to branch out and go to other cities too there. Um, but yeah, make sure to go follow Amanda. Thanks so much again, Amanda, and to all the Bitcoiners out there, peace. Thanks, okay.
A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.